0: they can't handle the truth.
1: War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon.
0: Okay, welcome. It's Tuesday, six September in the year of our Lord, 2022. You're in the battleground. And man, we've got, what, 60-some days until November 8th. It's going to be a fight every day. We're going to talk about some of the biggest issues that are driving people to the polls. I want to start with Dr. Peter Navarro. we got a packed show this afternoon. But I want to start with Dr. Peter Navarro. Uh, Dr. Navarro, you're the first guy to really call stagflation back, I don't know, three weeks into the, actually, I think you said it on the afternoon broadcast on the 20th on when the regime uh, became the residence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you, you've more fully developed that over the next couple of months, but you were the first guy, but now I want to get you on a day because the specter. You keep harkening back to the 70s. You keep saying, "Hey, we've been through this before. We're not the same country. We don't have the same balance sheet. We don't have the same manufacturing base." But we made many of these mistakes back in the back in the 1970s. What has occurred over the last 72 hours is this issue of price controls, particularly in Europe as they try to keep energy costs down. Walk us through stagflation. Where are we? And is this just is history repeating itself the debacle that was price control, sir? Yes,
2: Steve. Uh, History is repeating itself uh, with the stagflation scenario. Um, Let me do the the 70s history briefly. You start with Lyndon Johnson's failure to abide by the guns versus butter trade-off. He went ahead and did both the Great Society programs and prosecute the Vietnam War. That was 68. That sparked an inflation that bled into the beginning of the 1970s. Nixon gets um, uh, is um, get, gets elected and Arthur Burns becomes Fed chair. And he just opens the spigot, starts printing all sorts of money. Uh, the dollar collapses. And um, what does Nixon do? <laughs> Wage and price controls. Yeah. And then as we move in, to 76 and, and and that period before Carter, uh, we get Gerald Ford having his win campaign, whip inflation now, and he's whip he, Every time he tries to control inflation, he deepens the recession. Every time he tries to stimulate the economy, he worsens inflation. And by the time Jimmy Carter rolls around, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So that's a span that goes like 12 years, Steve, 12 years. Long years until Volcker comes along under Ronald Reagan and basically shocks the system with the recession to beat all recessions um, and kind of resets the inflationary expectations. Um, so what have we got here in terms of similar kinds of? Mistakes? Hold it, hold it, hold! It. I
0: just want I just want to make sure people we don't we don't come out of there until really the morning of our, it's really 83, 84, So you're talking twelve or fourteen? Yeah. Eight, yeah, 82 was stopped, yes, but it didn't pivot until really the unemployment. We didn't really start getting polling and people like 83. You're talking it took, was it 12 years, 13 years, 14 years to work through? This is a decade and a half, From essentially, the beginning, that America again, was gutted. and
2: By the way, I did leave something really important out, which is kind of analogous to the pandemic. And that was the supply shocks in the early 70s. There were two of them. One was the OPEC oil cartel oil price shocks, which spiked both oil prices and food prices. And we also had a, a weather phenomenon like anchovies dying off the coast of Peru that was actually a profound shock in the animal feed area because that all fed into, the, into what, what was part of the livestock supply chain. So the analogy here is, is very direct. We've got both profligate fiscal and monetary policy, Joe Biden in Congress with all the trillions of dollars of bills they're passing that are going to have too much spending for too little productivity. We've got profligate monetary policy with Jerome Powell essentially not seeing the inflation that you and Cortez and myself and others on the war room saw and basically had easy money for too long. right? Um, And we got the supply shocks that are policy-induced by the Biden regime, things like force vax, which put a lot of people of prime age out of the workforce and disrupted our supply chains. And now, lo and behold, wage and price control chatter uh, among the Biden White House, which is totally predictable. The problem here, Steve, is that none of this works, okay? The, the basic insight of Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan and what I was seeing back in May of 2020 to try to stave off is that economies grow and prosper because of their underlying structure. And if you want to make an economy more process, pr- prosperous, you have to have the right structure. So when Biden wiped out strategic energy dominance, that alone, that alone ensured This stagflationary impulse to begin to ripple through the economy, and then he did all the other stuff. So, if you contrast that with what what Trump would be doing now in office, he wouldn't have. He would certainly we maintain strategic. But let me go. Let
0: me go. We've got we've got limited we've got limited time today. And by the way, I want to talk about your book for a second, but. Europe is out of control. The, these first price controls are—it's the, the Europeans. I know Biden; those guys are kicking on wa- wage and price controls, but that's kind of theoretical. Right now, they're actively moving to put caps yeah. on Russian energy, particularly Russian natural gas. Is and they're because they got two choices: either do that, or they got to come up with massive subsidies, which they can't afford to pay because they don't have the balance sheets. So, in Europe's situation, if they don't put price controls in or try to force that on the Russians. What are, their, what are their alternatives, given that their energy policies are so awful anyway?
2: Well, <laughs> that's why these things are long-moving events, Steve. I mean, Germany uh, and Europe uh, laid their bed when they got into bed with the Rushkies. I mean, Trump, in a very prescient speech to the UN, warned flat out the Germans, they were sitting right there in the audience, literally laughing at Trump warning them about an overdependence on Russian energy. I mean, you can't make that up, these arrogant Germans. I mean, no one was more arrogant that I had to deal with in, in within Europe than the Germans. And they're sitting there, and it's just like now Attila the Huns in Moscow, uh, and you know they're paying the price. Who knows? Here's the thing. Make America great again. All I know right now about Europe is that stuff's coming home right here to roost. Because as that continent is falling apart, they're not going to buy our stuff. Our dollars going to spike. We're going to buy more of their stuff, provided we can get it. And everything we buy from them is going to have a higher price tag. So they're going to import inflation and unemployment to this country because they were too stupid to have a coherent energy policy at the same time. You can't fix stupid, Steve, at least not quickly.
0: Dr. Navarro, we got a lot to do rolling out your book uh, up to, the, I think, the 19th. Walk people through. How do they get it right now? How do they get the podcast? Well, how do they get uh, the audio yeah, you, version? Yeah, you
2: buried the lead there, Ben. And the name of the book <laughs> is Taking Back Trump's America. Go to com and you can. that's a gateway to Amazon. You can read about it. But Taking Back Trump's America is absolutely critical. I want to thank Steve for the Labor Day weekend show because – War Room Posse went out and bought that, and it really boosted the rankings on Amazon. Buy it for a friend. we got to get this Taking Back Trump's America out, because it's the blueprint and battle cry to win back the House signal, win back the White House signal, and change these policies. Taking Back Trump's America, please. Deplorable. Buy it.
0: Uh, also, I think it, you're helping people understand economics and how it impacts their life. And this thing in Europe, we've been tracking for a while. You you and Cortez. Well, and one Dave thing Street, on that, frankly, Steve, been so one, one thing
2: on that I think is important with, with Joe Biden, with his Goebbels attack on MAGA. There's a there's a beautiful set of chapters in there, which are straight homage, not just to Trump, but to you, Steve. When you were in the White House, explaining what Make America Great Deplorables means and how it's distinguished from the rhino traditional Republicans versus the Trump Republicans. And that alone is worth a read in Taking Back Trump's America, because it will help people in our posse be able to explain simply and coherently why we are peaceful people in search of prosperity um, and not the the kind of wackos extremists that um, Joe fascist Biden wants to portray us as.
0: Peter, real quickly, how did it get to you on uh, Getter?
2: Yeah, uh, Getter is the Twitter killer. Let me say that one more time. Getter's the Twitter killer. Real P. Navarro. Please sign up for Getter. At, send send something to me through Getter. And um, we'll welcome you to the community. Get you engaged. I just, I mean, I it's like I, I put stuff up on Twitter and Getter all the time. Same stuff. and And Twitter bans you. They just, they shadow ban you. You can't even see that they're doing it. But I see with comparing the results on Getter and Twitter, I know those SOBs are doing that. They just did it over the weekend on something I sent out. No, 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 Twitter. You're you're dead. Getter's coming for you.
0: Coming for you. Peter Navarro, Dr. Navarro, thank you very much for joining us, taking time away from your schedule. Exactly. While we're on social media, I want to bring in two of the of the of the heaviest hitters we got. Let's bring in Will Tebow from Heritage Tech Policy Group. Uh, Will, you wrote an amazing piece about Facebook essentially working for the Biden campaign to make sure that Biden had an attempt to steal this. But but pull the camera back for a second. It just the social media oligarchs overall, they are out of control. You just heard Peter Navarre, he puts up economic analysis on are uh, things related to the vaccine or the virus, and he was one of the leading White House guys? He puts it up on getter, it gets to run, you get engagement, he puts it on twitter he 's banned immediately walk our walk our audience through the tech oligarchs and particularly how Facebook uh, really helped them with Joe Rogan you know got it out of uh, got it out of Zuckerberg, how they really helped to win the 2020 election.
3: Thanks for having me, Steve. You put it right. They are oligarchs. And what distinguishes them from other people or other business owners is they operate with impunity from the federal government or from state governments. But what I think is distinctive is that they don't merely help the Biden administration in this case. Uh, They are one and the same with the uniparty. They are part of the administrative state. They are part of the ruling class that seeks to define american values that seeks to decide, define the future of american political discourse and you know zuckerberg came out and said it on, on joe rogan that the fbi uh, in in no uncertain terms gave them orders to suppress uh, certain uh, information what this comes down to to though is the fact that we don't have laws or political accountability for internet platforms uh, in the digital age that define our public discourse, and what that means is, conservatives—you uh, know—certainly uh, c- America First conservatives do not have representation in the only uh, type of discourse that really matters in this day and age, as you know uh, all all too well. They operate above the rule of law because there I- are no laws uh, that are relevant uh, to internet in 20 20- to the internet in 2022.
0: You know, we're going to have Darren Bede on here from Revolver in a second. He's been all over this on so Twitter. Here's one of the problems is that these guys have generated so much cash because of such huge margins. They've bought, you know, they retained every lobbyist. They retained every law firm. You have these bills kind of floating around right now. And Mike Davis from Article 3 is, you know, on on the show every other day. His big project right now is this tech bill. But he says he can't, they can't even get it to the, to up, at a committee for a vote. What is MAGA to do? Because right now, even the MAGA side, you know, you got the Jim Jordans who's a beloved guy, but Jim Jordan's kind of a little bit in the in the big tech camp. You have other people like Matt Gates who want to go full firebrand. What 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 is your perspective of how do we work our way through this to actually get a policy set that MAGA can get in back of?
3: I think big tech is frankly, Steve, one of the areas where an unlikely alliance is necessary to survive for for America first conservatives to thrive uh, in, in this day and age. It, it might mean that we support a bill sponsored by Amy Klobuchar. It, it might mean uh, that we make you know, strange bedfellows with a, a, a Democrat like uh, David Cicilline or, or that you know Republican uh, office holders co-sponsor legislation. There, there are some pieces of legislation that have been written and proposed and have uh, sponsors on each side that are really wor- worth considering, uh, and and I think you will see a lot of Republicans uh, get support. Uh, you know, put put their support behind. But you know, I, I'm I'm a little frustrated. I think like you, is we have a lot of proposals, some sit in committee, but we haven't had much serious, you know, much discussion. And it it has to be a priority uh, for Republicans and Democrats, for anyone who cares about the integrity of our democracy, to actually put forth some laws uh, that give the American people some sense uh, of what happens in the servers of these tech companies so we know uh, what's happening. Tech policy by podcast, tech policy by whistleblower does not work.
0: I want to, by the way, part of Heritage, what you guys are doing is working through all these policy, the group you work for, you're in the tech policy group. This is what you're raising Detra is. You guys are sitting there trying to work through these different policy because it's quite complicated. And you're, like you said, it's not going to be the natural, traditional political alignments. Is this what you guys are doing right now?
3: Exactly, Steve. Uh, you know, and I, I direct you and all of your, your listeners to my boss, Kara Frederick's you know, really magnum opus, uh, a paper called Combating Big Peck's Totalitarianism. She lays out the abuses of power. She lays out the heinous. Impact that technology and these social media companies in particular are having on American culture and our families. And she starts to chart ahead uh, the, the political path uh, towards taking action. Uh, and, and I think that will perhaps include some form of antitrust, that'll include conversations about digital privacy uh, and uh, property rights as they're understood on the internet. Um, but that's exactly right. At Heritage, we're, we're going to be putting our name behind. Uh, a lot of these pieces of legislation that will give Americans a voice and restore some trust uh, to these to these internet platforms because none exists now. We'll have hearings, you know, Zuckerberg will go on, on podcasts, but there's no, we we don't have uh, a sense of of what is real or not, and that's uh, that's unacceptable because it's the ruling class who who benefits from that chaos.
0: Let me bring in, hang with me for a second. Well, let me bring in Darren Beatty. Darren, I I think I if. I had to say, and Will had the introduction. This is the reason Revolver.News was created. You wanted to take on these topics that, quite frankly, in the old days, people didn't even talk about or didn't understand or were talking about, you know, Section 202. And you said, hey, we got a bigger problem here. We've created an economy of oligarchs, and the biggest one is tech. And you've been at the forefront of this, saying, it's, you know, the media is bad, this is bad, that's bad, but the merger of big tech in the national security state, and now really the law enforcement national security state is probably the biggest issue we have with the administrative state. Darren Beatty, your perspective on this.
4: No, it's 100%. I mean, we have multiple things going on at once, but really converging into one large problem The weaponization of the national security state against the American people, and we saw a major inflection point in that with Biden's recent speech, which really amounted to a declaration of war against over half of the country, really, and the instrumentalization of big tech as a weapon for the security state. And I think that's something that a lot of people on the right who get caught up in this distinction of, oh, big tech, these are private companies versus the government. Well, Ultimately, where it really matters, big tech is they're not private companies. They are cutouts of the government to which our government has outsourced certain functions that it can't actually implement on account of various constitutional restrictions. So we have the same kind of censorship that really you have in China. It's just implemented differently in order to work around the Constitution.
0: Let me there was a I got your piece over the weekend. You know, you and I are all over the situation in Ukraine and we've been pretty adamant since the beginning and we've been right since the beginning that this is something that was ridiculous. This border, uh, this border dispute in, in Russian speaking Ukraine was something we shouldn't get dragged into or at least and now we're the driver of it. But when you talk about the National Security State, and Will talks about this, really th- th- at, the, uh, at the apex of that is the National Security Agency out at Fort Meade. It is the elite of the elite. Talk yeah. to me about this article that came out over the weekend with the National Security, because it's, it's so shocking. But there's something deeper. That's almost like Biden's speech. You see Biden's speech, and you really can't, as an American, kind of absorb it at first. You've got to go back and watch it again and again and think. The same with this article. It's like, this is the most elite unit in cyber warfare. At Fort Meade, and tell the right. audience what they were what they were working on.
4: Well, this this organization it's it has a Twitter account. These are the cyber war mimetic experts, and their Twitter account has a whopping twenty six thousand followers. <laughs> like to give you some perspective, um, you know my account isn't even that huge, and it's you know about one hundred fifty thousand. We have. Very successful, you know, people on on the right like Jack Posobiec with over a million. And this is the account of an elite cybersecurity unit that specializes in psychological warfare, mimetic warfare, and it's only got 26,000 followers. That's that's why they have to resort to censorship. And if you go to their Twitter timeline, it's just one thing after another, the usual junk that you'd expect from a government. Uh, group like this, a military group like this Russian disinformation you uh, this disinformation that um, one interesting piece that they uh, that they promoted they 're not behind this particular operation at least publicly, but they 've been promoting it on their timeline to show how hip and uh, in touch they are with the internet cyber culture is they 've been promoting this group that allows you to put memes. On weapons sent to Ukraine. <laughs> so that's that's one interesting thing they did. Another thing they did that's equally disturbing and directly impinges on free speech in the West is they're promoting uh, basically an intelligence agency attack spearheaded by UK intelligence against a new news organization called Grey Zone, which has been extremely critical of of uh, the West's operation against Russia and our sort of money laundering and weapons laundering to Russia. And so they've at least um, helped to provide uh, some kind of signal boost to UK intelligence attack on, um, on domestic media. And so you can only begin to understand what these guys are involved in. We're doing a deeper study on them, but it's just one little piece of a larger puzzle, which is that all of these groups are absolutely terrified of free speech online. Free speech online is genuinely speaking a number one national security threat to the corrupt and illegitimate regime that unfortunately now runs the United States of America. So it's very dangerous stuff. It's totally antithetical to the spirit, if not the letter of the constitution. And it's really something that needs to be changed if we want our country back.
0: Uh, how do people get to you on social media and how do they get to your Revolver?
4: Revolver.news. We've got a white-hot piece about the great Blake Masters and his recent comments on affirmative action. If you're interested in this topic, go to Revolver.news now. A lot of really, really astonishing details in this piece. I'm on Twitter, at Darren J. Beatty, and we're at Gitter at revolver
0: news darren thank you very much for joining us
4: thank
0: you uh will uh people want to find out more about your group and give us the name of the paper again we're going to put a link to it and i want to know how to get to you on social media and how do people go over to heritage today to find out more about your policy group
3: i'm at william tebow uh, on Twitter. It's, it's not spelled like you think, uh, but hopefully they'll stumble upon it. It's, it's spelled a little more authentically, I guess, to my ancestors' roots. Um, but the, the paper I mentioned is, uh, was written by my boss, Kara Frederick, uh, who's the director of the Tech Policy Center. She wrote it back in January, uh, Combating Big Tech's Totalitarianism. Uh, it's at heritage.org uh, under, under our section on, on big tech. And uh, again, that is the framework that we will use uh, to bring this cabal uh, to heal and and to end their unchecked influence on our country. Uh, we'll we'll be getting more specific in the coming months and in the in the year ahead. But uh, we couldn't be more excited about about what's to come.
0: No, no. Here's the reason that and the way it ties in also to to uh, tech with uh, big pharma in the medical industry is that this is the most complicated issues we're going to have to deal with the, the administrative state. These are highly complicated. Like I said, there's going to be new alliances. There's going to be people falling in and out, but we got to get it right first. And I keep telling people we're kind of feeling our way through here as I have discussions with people I admire and realize, Hey, I'm on the other side of the football for some of these people and closely more aligned with others. And these guys are aligned, but it, it, it really is going to require a ton of policy work to get this right. So really appreciative that heritage is all over this, sir. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Thank, thank you, Steve. They're not hiding it. They're emailing from their government and Facebook email addresses. So it's time we, we match them.
0: Thank you, sir. The oligarchs. Let me talk about oligarchs. There's two areas. I got um, Naomi was going to join us a- at the break, but I want to go to Dr. Maria Ryan on this fentanyl situation and about big pharma. Uh, I think people, Dr. Ryan, what people don't can't get their hands around is that we've been talking about this now for years, and this crisis is starting to overwhelm communities in the United States, where are we? And how is this thing exploding so much when supposedly it's so many billions of dollars going to stop it, ma'am?
5: Well, the problem is, is that it's coming through the border at such a rate in such amounts that there is no stopping it until we put a moratorium on the border. There are literally cartel members in all 50 states of the union And this drug, particularly fentanyl, is pushed by the Sinaloa cartel and the Jalisco new generation cartel primarily. But it's an illicit synthetic opioid coming from China, now from India as well. And they work with the cartels to push it into the United States. It is 50 times more potent than heroin, 100 times more potent than Uh, morphine, and it's highly addictive. They're putting it in uh, cannabis. They're putting it in heroin, cocaine, and separately you could buy some fentanyl. But my concern is with our young people. The DEA, uh, Drug Enforcement Agency, eight days ago put out a warning. Take a look at this. Look at this.
0: I tell you what, hold hold, hold it. Hang on for one second. Hang on for one second. I want to get to that. We're going to take a short commercial break. We've got Dr. Maria Ryan. We have Dr. Naomi Wolf. We have Carrie Sheffield. All next in the war room. Welcome back, uh, Maria. Hold up, and I want to make sure you describe it for our audience. The DEA put this out as a warning, given that this is the most addictive thing we've ever seen. What's a hundred times more powerful and addictive than what uh, morphine? Fifty times more than heroin. It's all over now—cannabis uh, and marijuana and all this. What to put up? What DEA warned us about?
5: So eight days ago, the Drug okay, Enforcement what is that? Yep. put out a warning about brightly colored fentanyl pills. They are now, meaning China, the cartels, are going after our youngest people. This is so brightly colored, it looks like candy. They're chalk colors. And they're pushing it along with fake pills. So here in the United States, if a provider prescribes you Xanax or oxycodone or a multitude of other drugs, it's compounded in a pharmacy. These illicit drugs that are manufactured in not a pharmacy, in drug cartels labs look exactly like the real drugs, but they put a little bit of fentanyl in it. So a young person who thinks they're buying a Xanax just to get some sleep because they're stressed about finals, they could wake up dead in the morning. One pill can kill. We believe as little as two milligrams of fentanyl can kill you, but I have another alert for your audience. There's new drugs on the market, and they're called nitazines. There's a family of drugs called nitazine. Florida has put out a advisory for eight of these drugs, which, can you believe it? They're even more potent than fentanyl. So i give you three examples here. N, pyrolidino. Eto-nitazine, yep. street name Pyro, ten times more potent than fentanyl. Can you believe it? That's crazy. Etodaznitazene, and this one is big on the streets. iso-tonitazine. So, so, so how sp- are we de-
0: look? We understand that we understand. Okay, we understand. We got supply from the, the tongs in uh, you know in China. We got India now and You got the cartels coming through. We got about a minute here. How do we cut demand? How do we stop demand? Because it's the ban, it's a supply demand situation. And I realize they're putting it in everything. But basically, fundamentally, how do we cut demand for this, ma'am?
5: Well, it got worse during the pandemic. People were isolated. There were mandates that didn't make any logical sense, did not follow the science. And it isolated our young people. It isolated everybody, but more importantly, our young people. And they turned to other people on social media and they were groomed, almost like being groomed for sexual exploitation. They were groomed that you need to take a pill to solve your problems. This will make you happy. This will make you sleep less. So we do need not only to have a moratorium on the border, but we have to work with how to handle stress, how to cope with today's world, and how to make a difference. But it's multifactual. But it's a real We're going to have you back
0: on. We're going to have you back on here to drill down here. How do people get to you on social media? I know you've been putting up reports. You've been doing the morning show on Sundays with Rudy. You've been doing the podcast. How do people get to you?
5: Um, Getter at Dr. Maria. Truth at Dr. Maria. I still do a little work on Twitter. I don't like to because they shadow ban me all the time when I'm just trying to talk about science and facts.
0: Dr. Ryan, thank you very much. Look forward to having you back on here on this Crisis of fentanyl, which is destroying the working class in this country, and now it's destroying the youth. A doctor, let's bring in Doctor Naomi Wolf. Doctor Wolf, I kind of, I want to make sure this is true. People sent it to me. I announced it on the morning show. Are they? Is the UK government? And I know that you're rolling on lawsuits. So I want to get to all that. But is the UK government now stop the vaccinations to five to eleven year olds? Is that official, or is this some people just surmising this from certain things that the British government's doing?
6: Well, Naked Emperor is the source, and this is uh, the byline of um, a very credible uh, commentator on vaccine issues who is was very early to be critical of the narratives and the mythology um, of COVID in general and the lockdowns as well. So I don't have independent verification except for that. However, he does link in his substack directly to a UK government site. Which quietly, you know, these people don't make announcements. According to Naked Emperor, quietly vaccinating any child that now turns five in, in Britain ended in August, meaning last month, without any announcements. And so it used to be that um, there was a one off program. You see how they're subtly changing language, applying to those age five to 11 years, including those who turn five years of age before the end of August, 2022. And so that's been quietly dropped. So now the new one-off program, the ongoing one-off program is expected to be for children in the academic years where children are aged 11 or 12 years and up. So um, pending additional verification, it actually does look like this audience can add another um, notch to its belt of saving the children of the world, uh, because Britain appears- But, they have, not,
0: but, 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 but sure. they have not put up with all the things that we're doing. They have still not come up and said why they're doing that. I just want to make sure that's correct, because a lot of these things they're doing now are quite sneaky. All of a sudden, they just kind of ghosted, and you're left to, to kind of track it down. You, you agree that this is in this category. There hasn't been any big pub- public announcements. They haven't come forward and said, hey, we're stopping this for the following reasons.
6: On the contrary, uh, and this is a, a methodology that you see in our country as well, you know, in, in the countries that are kind of tiptoeing away, the spokespeople who are tiptoeing away, Dr. Burks, um, they just will change their position without doing that normal human thing of saying, well, this was my position, and now my position is 180 degrees the opposite, and I'm going to explain to you why that changed. No, they just launch with this, and this is why trying to you know, read these documents or listen to these spokespeople is so often sounds like gibberish because they're not using normal logic. They're using sound bites that have probably been vetted by lawyers. um, And they're, you know, just kind of gently changing the website, um, gently, uh, you know, changing the language. CDC does that too. They gently changed the website to, um, you know, to to make it seem as if they hadn't been, uh, you know, mandating everything they mandated for the last two years. Um, and the trouble with these websites is that you know digital technology is hard to pin down, so people have to kind of struggle to compare versions in order to really understand what the government is doing. And this is just sneaky governance. I mean, the the clean, transparent way to run a government uh, policy is to issue a press release and have a spokesperson answering questions and to announce to people of Britain, yes, up until last this past August last month, we were encouraging you or making you inject your five to 11-year-old child. Now we've changed the guidance, and this is why. But no, they're, they're never going to say why, because there is no the, why. The, the, whole per-
0: yeah. the, whole per- the whole purpose of what Daily Cloud's doing with the War Room Posse and the lawyers and Amy Kelly and all that is to hold people accountable and make sure that we get facts out there. Walk us through. I think you're making some big announcements now of moving forward, maybe even in some of the legal sphere and, and, and going after people in lawsuits.
6: Yeah, finally. And um, I want to thank all of the posse and you for finally getting to yet another benchmark, the the gears of the law grind exceedingly slowly. But um, when you get there, you really get there. So um, the FDA uh, declined our citizens petition. Um, They sent their, their lawyers, which is kind of exciting to me. I mean, this is the same FDA that stood by, well, you know, all these people were horribly harmed or killed. All these kids were sterilized in the Pfizer documents. The same FDA tasked their lawyers um, with reading our citizens' complaint, our lawyers' citizens' complaint, and then declining it in a 31-page response. So they spent some serious taxpayer dollars on that and some serious manpower. But that was a necessary step. They had to decline it in order for our lawyers, Scott Street and John Howard, who you remember, won Uh, against the Biden administration regarding masking. They're the best of the best in their space. So now they are free to do what they're doing, which is seeking potential plaintiffs in legal action against Pfizer. So now we can finally, ladies and gentlemen, sue Pfizer, the the legal grant is clear for us to sue Pfizer, we're doing it. And so this is the announcement that I've asked your producer to post on your socials. We're looking for someone who owns Pfizer stock and would be willing to be a plaintiff in an action seeking access to books and records regarding the company's COVID-related business. Qualifications, individuals who have owned Pfizer stock from October 1st, 2021 to the present. Further qualification is you must own the shares directly, i.e. not through a mutual fund. So you reach, you know, a million people, every podcast, everyone out there who possibly owns Pfizer stock. Please consider- and this the- is,
0: And this is- yeah, but this is because that they came back and the 31-page response, I want to make sure if we can put that up, uh, that everybody sees it, the 31-page response to your citizen's petition, I assume they said, thank you very much, we're not interested,
6: correct? Well, so just to be clear, and um, I'll resend the 31-page response, I, uh, Cameron may not have it because I sent it you know, a while ago, but... Um, it is still news, so definitely you want to read it you want to see it it's it's really again it's quite satisfying. Uh, we couldn't send it directly to Pfizer until the FDA uh, took you know responded to our demand for a citizens petition. so they responded by declining now we're free to sue Pfizer. Um, so it's not the same entity, but we had to get through that bureaucratic hurdle of, of the FDA responding and saying no, we're not going to engage with right. you on this. And they Have,
0: gave their walk me walk me through Daily Clout. Where can people that are interested in this, and particularly people if they do own Pfizer stock or other people are interested, where do they right. go to Daily Clout? What part of it do they go? Because you've got the you've got all the reports you're doing. Where do they go for this specific? Because this is where you're kind of pivoting a little bit. Where they go on the, uh, on the site itself to get more information here?
6: Well, I literally just got this email from our lawyers um, 15 minutes before uh, we went live. So this is brand new news. It's not up yet on the site, but it will be by tomorrow. Um, and there's going to be the call for plaintiffs up on the site. Uh, it'll be up on you know, your site with your wonderful team. And so go to dailycloud.io after tomorrow around 10 a.m. And you'll be able to um, fill out a form if you are you know if you meet these criteria and you want to be a plaintiff but i also really want to share um, it's it's not exactly a pivot because all the work that these 3500 experts have done has brought yes, us yes, to this moment yes. Um, yes. And, and has
0: led yeah, us to this
6: yeah yeah and and the last thing i want to call your attention this, to is that it's not just a lawsuit it's books and records so we get to see a lot more um, badness probably uh and material um criminality uh through the uh call for um records that is part of this lawsuit. So it's not just we're suing them, so pe- we're gonna stop them. It's people- also behind the curtain.
0: People know how to go to Daily Cloud IO. How do they get to your getter? Because I keep up with you on getter where you're putting up stuff all night long. Where 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 do people go?
6: Yeah, I'm Dr. Naomi R. Wolf on Getter, um, and it's uh, the book is The Bodies of Others. The website is daily.io, and you know I always hate to ask for money, but we have big legal bills now that you know we're finally on offense yep. and in a very gr- aggressive way. So please do keep supporting us, everyone. It makes all the difference in the world.
0: Naomi, you're, you people are on fire, so it's uh, it's uh, the support I know you guys use. Everything you grinded through, it's just incredible what you've done. So, thank you very much for joining us.
6: Thank you all. This is a victory for all of you that we reached this moment. Thank you, Steve, very, very much.
0: Very huge. Thank you for sharing it with us first. Let's go to Carrie Sheffield, Carrie of the Independent Woman's Voice. Talk to us about uh, this, what you're driving for. I think it's a, a women's bill of rights. Is that what it is? You're trying to get legislation. Talk to us about this and why do we need this now? You, you've been one of the fire breathers. On this, uh, on this issue of, uh, of gender ideology and making sure that we actually have the traditional family, women's sports, uh, because right now people come to me and just say, this is madness. They can't even get their bearings on it. Walk us through what Independent Women's Voice is doing, Kerry.
7: Thanks for having me. And uh, we were really happy to have your daughter, Maureen, at our rally to save women's sports. Uh, And that happened on the 50th anniversary of Title IX earlier this summer. And basically what we are promoting, it's called the Women's Bill of Rights, as you said. uh, And it's at the website, womensbillofrights.com. And folks can check it out yourself. You can sign your name. We have a place for citizens to sign on. We know that's the most important title, democracy is citizen. Uh, We also have an area for lawmakers, Uh, and candidates to pledge to sign on to the Women's Bill of Rights. And it's not creating, sometimes when conservatives hear this phrase, they think, oh, you're trying to create new fake rights. No, actually what this is really about is about the constitution and about the Equal Protection Clause. So under the Equal Protection Clause, and this has been recognized by the courts, women are biologically distinct from men. And that's been recognized over and over by the courts. And in order to fulfill the Equal Protection Clause, which says that our government will give equal protection, there are certain things that women get uh, as a result of being a woman uh, to protect us from biological men and it makes us genetically distinct. Uh, So for Title IX, for example, it meant that we had funding and resources uh, for sports because we were biologically distinct from men that allowed us to flourish. And your daughter spoke so eloquently about what sports meant for her and her career and her confidence and what it gave to her as a young woman uh, and allowed her as a springboard into leadership roles. And so just, you know, multiply that with millions of women across the board. All of that is under threat right now with this move of gender ideology to supplant the definition of a woman. And so the definition of a woman is spelled out in the women's bill of rights. We're not biologists. None of us that I know have a biology degree at women, Internet Women's Voice, uh, but we spell out what a woman is in the women's Bill of Rights, and then we spell it exactly. the the rights that are acknowledged under the Constitution that are biologically distinct from men that spring from that definition of what it means to be a woman. And yes, you're right, we're pushing it through at the federal level. Uh, We have four senators who have signed on to this from Capitol Hill and 28 members in the House. Uh, And we've also got 10 attorneys generals in states across the country who have signed on also to have this at the state level. And so we welcome any of your viewers to come put your name and also put pressure on your local lawmakers.
0: We're going to have you back to drill down more. But right now, what I want to do is introduce it, make sure people go there. Where do they go to find this document, to read it themselves and all the other collateral information you have?
7: Sure. So it's womensbillofrights.com. And that's where you can put your name. Uh, You can also follow us at Independent Women's Voice. It's IWV.org. I'm at Carrie Sheffield. I'm on Truth Social. I'm on Getter. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, all over. So.
0: Kelly, uh, Carrie, this is uh, amazing and uh, we want to have you back on here and getting back to this because this, this thing has got to be sorted out. I mean, the, the people's heads are blown up about this and really honored to have you at the tip of the spear on this uh, subject.
7: All right. Thanks so much, Steve. Appreciate your support.
0: Thanks, Kerry, Kerry Sheffield. I want to finish tonight in with one of the, uh, the best men I know, John Gibbs up in Michigan three had one of the toughest primaries outspent i don't know 20 to 1 tell me about the general brother gibbs they they've kind of singled you out the, the soros woke mob uh, is uh is coming after you as hard as i've ever seen why is that sir
1: uh because they're afraid uh they know that they're starting to lose their grip uh we see people like us we don't view people in terms of your race we view people in terms of our ideas and your character but uh many aspects of the left they do divide up people and and uh, for the purpose of pitting them against each other for a political gain. They're trying to do that here. They don't want a black man that's conservative uh, to gain any type of prominence. So they're pointing all their guns at me, and it's really not going to work. They also believe they can flip this seat. This is a historically conservative area, so they think that they can flip it Democrat, but that's not going to happen. Uh, we're already out there pretty strong. We look good in our numbers. We're going to keep doing that. And by the way, my opponent's name is also Hillary, so we're going to have a lot of fun using that fact against her. Uh, she's a clone of Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden's going to support all those totally failed policies that got us all the high gas prices and uh, inflation that we see today. But I think that the uh, funding machine of the left knows that their policies are a failure. They know how much more people are paying at the grocery store and breaking their bank just having to go to the grocery store and go to the gas station. And so they don't want to focus on that. Instead, they want to call people like me, regular American. They want to call me an extremist. Uh, So they're going to try to do that. It's not going to work, but uh, they're going to spend a lot of money trying to do it.
0: John, the reason I want to have you to kick off, you're the first the candidate we've had on you and Car- uh, Carolyn Levitt about, uh, and she has not won her primary yet, you're the first general election, to show people the grassroots of the tip of the spear. How do people find out more about the campaign? Because this this is something I want people to, if they're so inclined, to come and volunteer and look at your, because you, you're not going to raise, you're going to be out raising this thing 10 to 1, but you got to get the one and maybe the two. So how do, how do where do people go? How do they find out more about you? And particularly, how do they find out that they can assist you?
1: VoteJohnGibbs.com, voteJohnGibbs.com. That's where folks can go. Uh, you can sign up for our prayer list. Uh, that's the most important thing. You can pray for our campaign. You can volunteer to door knock if you're local. It's a phone bank as well, um, and you can also give. You know, we are going to be up against a heavily funded opponent, but uh, and we are not going to raise as much as her, but we don't need to. I was out outspent 100 to 1 in external spending in the primary. Uh, So we know we can beat these folks uh, without as much money, but uh, we do need something to get my name out there. So votejohngibbs.com. You can donate, pray, and volunteer, and uh, keep up with everything we're doing on the socials as well. You can link uh, there from votejohngibbs.com.
0: Are there any events this week that people should know about, or they also go to votejohngibbs and it'll all be up there?
1: Uh, We have that on votejohngibbs.com. We'll be doing door knocking this weekend and several other events as well. But, uh, yeah, check out uh, the website. That's where we have all of our events at. Um, so yeah, folks and, uh, keep up to date with everything there.
0: last, uh, last question quickly, has she agreed to debate you yet? Or is she going to get on a debate stage with you, brother Gibbs?
1: We believe so. Um, now, uh, they like to do these roundtables where there's no live audience and several other restrictions, but we are pushing for a full debate. We want people to be able to ask me any question point blank direct. Uh, we love that. We welcome that. Uh, my opponent does not, they want things to be controlled and scripted. So we're working on that.
0: John Gibbs now you're a man of God you are a man's man. thank you so much brother for joining this and thank you for being in the fight. great honor to have you on here sir
1: thank you Thank you Steve
0: John Gibbs Michigan three okay back tomorrow morning 10 o'clock I'll guarantee you one thing the war room will be on fire I'll see you then